Uh, Romans chapter 9, he is becoming more and more of a difficult act to follow. (laughs) Romans chapter 9, how do you transition, but we will, we will. Thank you, Pastor Stewart, for your ministry uh, to our children and families. Thank you, Matt and Angela and the rest, just leading us, just wonderful, wonderful time. Uh, this morning in worship and my brother Eric thank you for your clarity and your love for the Lord that is so evident as I take just a minute to thank some individuals I I wanted to share something with you Um, in my personal time in the word each day I always read Old Testament and New Testament separate from my text uh, that I'm studying. This week I've been in 2 Samuel as well as 2 Timothy. And in 2 Timothy, I was reminded of my responsibility. It says this in verse 2 preach the word and be ready in season, out of season. And then, and then it makes this statement that I want you to be mindful of this morning. It's speaking to pastors, it says, preach the word and be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Listen to this. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But they'll have itching ears and they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And they'll turn away from listening to the truth and they'll wander off into myths. Can I just say thank you, church, for enduring sound teaching, especially in light of Romans chapter 9 and some really difficult truths for us. Thank you for not having itching ears. Thank you for not wandering off or accumulating teachers that just tell me what I want to hear. Churches are filled with pastors who are preaching steady diets of cotton candy. And it's not going to prove for healthy, strong bodies. So I I just commend you. Thank you for putting up with difficult truth. As we've been learning about what hard doctrines just last week God is God is the potter and we are the clay if you remember nothing else okay hold on to this this is what we focus this is what we gather as a church for this is about the potter okay all of this this is about the potter this is about the potter thank you for keeping your focus on where it needs to be. I see, I, see new, I see new ones here with us. I did not realize that, that Eleanor is here, and I think Titus is here as well. Praise the Lord for safe arrivals of little ones, and we welcome. Oh. They're not like, they're like, a, like, they were just born, weren't they? And they are in church. Praise the Lord for that. We need to pray and just ask the Lord to bless our time. Also, Donna Faust's dad has passed away. And so we need to pray for Donna and come alongside of her and her family. Minister the best as we can. Pray especially on Tuesday as we have a celebration of life 
for Robert Faust. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, I thank you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are the potter that we gather in your name. We gather to celebrate you, to sing about you, to worship you, to adore you. Father, I thank you for your word and I thank you for each person who's willing to hear and sit under the teaching and preaching. We thank you, Lord. We give you all the praise for for new little ones that are with us today. Thank you, Lord, for the blessing. But also, Lord, we think of um, in the same week that there's little ones born that someone is called home with Mr. Faust. And we just pray, Lord, that Lord, you'd allow us to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep, that we would strive to do this the best that we can. Thank you as well. Um, news this morning for the arrival of, of Mia's uh, little son. We just thank you, Lord, for answers to prayer all over the place. Uh, Father, we just pray now as your word is open before us, as your spirit moves amongst us, that we would hear you and Consider the question, if, if we're clay, then, then what happens now? What do we do? Please guide my words. May they be spoken in love and gentleness. We love you. May you be glorified in this time. In your name we ask all of these things. Amen and amen. We actually have quite a bit of, um, to cover in just a brief period of time, and I will do my best to direct your attention to Romans chapter 9. We pick it up in verse 24. Every single commentary that I looked at, every, everyone broke these texts up in different ways. So there's no um, sacred way to, to divide them. And so we pick it up actually in verse 24 of Romans chapter 9. The words will be in front of you as we continue on with this defense of the gospel that Paul has so perfectly and articulately been given. Even us, whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles, as indeed he says in Hosea, those who were not my people, I will call my people. And her who was not beloved, I will call beloved. In the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. Isaiah cries out, and Isaiah cries out concerning Israel. Though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. For the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth fully and without delay. And as Isaiah predicted, if the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring, we would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. What shall we say then? The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith. But as if it were based on works, they have stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. 23 verses prior to this point discussing God's sovereign purpose in Romans chapter 9. And now in a sense, it kind of turns and it focuses on 
human factors. Let me remind you that God does not sideline us, okay? God does not bench us. Three errors in one game will get you benched. I can speak from experience. God does not bench us, sideline us. And we'll see that with two particular points this morning very clearly when we examine the necessity of faith and the urgency of evangelism in our text. Number one, we focus on the necessity of faith. Focus on the necessity of faith. We are 21st century grandparents, pop up and Mimi, and so we live, sadly because our kids and grandkids are many, many miles apart, we live on FaceTime oftentimes for visits. And we were chatting, as we will often do, on Friday morning early, and, and Levi was, was kind of like almost there with Pop-Up and Mimi, but he was really more concerned about when are my cartoons going to go back on that they just cut off so Pop-Up and Mimi could talk. And, and as he was kind of wandering off, his daddy said, hey, Pop-Up's here, you got to focus. So Levi looks over and he does that hard stare, like he's locked. He's just locked in, like I'm here. Can I leave now? I'm here. And it's that focus, it's that hard stare, that locking in. We really have to focus on this morning. 23 verses directing our attention to the secure promises that rest in God's sovereignty as he's choosing us and shaping us and smoothing us into vessels of honor. And now the author directs our attention to the Old Testament, reminding us that this entire plan of salvation has been offered to what? To all. Salvation is offered to everyone. All, that includes us Gentiles, not just the Jews. And this entire plan is foretold by the prophets. That speaks not only of the consistency of Scripture, the value that we have in it, but that God is always good to his word, promising us. And he reemphasizes, in a sense, the big idea. And you go all the way back when we started the book of Romans. Romans chapter 1, verse 17. If you talk about this, this is the mountaintop. And it talks about what? The righteous shall live by faith. Nine chapters later. And guess what we hear in chapter 9, verse 30, righteousness that is by faith. So our entire salvation is based in that which cannot be seen, but must be evidenced. And the truth is that that truth is, is hard for us. It's painful at times because there's a natural instinct there's something for us that says, what is it that I must do? And there's an instinct of us trying and trying and keep trying over and over again to attain some kind of righteousness through works or through law. It was the case with Israel, as they attempted to do. And that's what our text this morning is reminding us. They have found out, just like what any one of us who try to work our way 
Surely by my getting up this morning and being here in church, surely that's got to have some measure somewhere. There's some points being gathered. Surely that's got to help. But what does it say? They did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith. A reminder for us that what faith is, trusting. Faith is oftentimes, I describe it simply as resting. There's a connection, there's a connotation when it comes to this idea of faith. And it's swirling and uncertain, unseen around us. And yet there's something that allows us to rest well at night. Trust and rest in Jesus' work and not our own work. So here's how, he, here's how he proves it. He goes to the Old Testament, to the book of Hosea, in Hosea's announcement. And, and he says this, Those who were not my people, I'll call them my people. That's chapter 2, verse 23. He's quoting Hosea, chapter 2, verse 23. And then he, and then he quotes chapter 1 of Hosea, and he says this, Those who were not my beloved... I will call them beloved. So just pause on this. You're not my people, now you're my people. You weren't loved, you weren't loved, and now you are my beloved. And it speaks about, it speaks about the broad sweeping scope of, of to whom salvation is presented to. And it includes, praise God, it includes you and I. Us. I like the way Matthew Henry says it, and he says it pretty, pretty simply here. Former badness is no bar to God's grace and mercy. Isn't that, isn't that a great summary statement? Former badness, because we all have the track record at some level. Former badness does not bar us from God's grace and mercy. And remember the setting here of the book of Hosea. Like, remember the whole picture. God is going to call a man to marry a woman whose name is Gomer. And, he, and here's, here's the invitation. She's going to break her marriage vows. She's going to break the covenant with you. She's going to be unfaithful, yet she will still be loved. She will still be cherished and adored. I, I oftentimes use that very picture in, in weddings and a marriage charge that I give to a young couple standing, what, at the front of the church. So just pause for a moment. I actually, I, actually, I actually took a portion. This is, what I, this is what I remind a bride and a groom on their wedding day. Listen very carefully. The story of Christ and his bride is very messy. It's very difficult. It's very sordid history for sure. Yet one of the most vivid illustrations is when God called Hosea to marry a woman who was unfaithful. Yet he stays faithful through all the pain and the heartache, the dishonor. And the confusion. He stays faithful. Why? Because God has joined them together. And because God in his astounding wisdom was showing Hosea and us what it is like 
for Christ to love his church, his bride, and then I address them by name, you, Mr. Groom, and you, Miss Bride. When we stand together here at this altar, making vows, we really don't think the bad is going to be all that bad. We expect sin. Oh, but not, not that kind. But our holy bridegroom, Jesus Christ, makes his vow knowing full well what he's forgiving. He knows us inside and out. He knows what we're guilty of and what we will be guilty of, even on our best days. Jesus could have the legal grounds to say, enough of this. I don't want it anymore. You violated my love for the last time. This is unfixable. The truth is, there's never been one who has been sinned against, wronged, and disrespected as much as Jesus. And yet what? He keeps loving, and giving, and serving. And he approves, and he delights, and he romances. He doesn't just tolerate us. He lavishes his affection on us. He justifies and sanctifies and glorifies. I have heard it many, many times, and I've quoted this as a description. Now, there's a groom worth swooning over. It's that type of love. This morning, and I think the times that we're together in church is when our, the wheels begin to spin. And, and, and the enemy is actually very active at this very moment in your heart and in your mind. Telling, telling you, whispering to you, you, you remember why you, why you were unworthy. You remember what you said. You remember what you did. And yet this morning we come gathered, loved unconditionally, and pause on that this morning and be encouraged. You are loved even in the midst and even in those times when you are unlovable. And there's always those times. You ever say a word? You ever make a statement? And you're like, oh, I can't believe I just said that. God still loves. He is faithful when you are faithless, when you failed, when you said, I'll never do that again. God is faithful to love you unconditionally. And you can be forgiven by Jesus Christ. Even when no one else, including yourself, will never forgive you. Jesus does. You can be declared righteous. That's justification. You can be what? Set apart. And made useful for holiness. That's sanctification. You will one day and have the promise of being made whole again. And holy. That's glorification. That's all wrapped up here in what Hosea's announcement. And there's still more. Isaiah gives an announcement. And so what Paul does is he quotes back to the prophet Isaiah in chapter 10, verse 22. And he says, Though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. 
used as a picture that we can all identify with. You've all sat on the beach with your your toes kind of sunk halfway and and as you're playing and you hold the sand and it kind of runs through and you're like wow and like and and you begin to like like they're stuck like it's you can't even begin to count and that's like one scoop with everything that's the description it kind of is reminiscent when when god what speaks to abraham and says look at the stars of the sky you cannot number them. That's the blessing of your own family. And he, and he makes this statement. He says, only, only a remnant. That word remnant is defined, speaking specifically of the Jews, of a small remaining portion will be saved. Again, when we speak of God, and we see what, in this particular context, His holiness on display and His justice on display. Knowing because of our sin, we actually deserve His wrath, yet it's only because of His mercy that we do not end up like cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. What happened to them? Just boom, burned up, gone. Which he makes reference in verse 29. What I find fascinating is that the main importance is the fact that, that you and I, despite our badness, have been grafted in through a righteousness that is by faith. It places what our focus on the only righteous one. And sadly, in the midst of this tension, tragically, the Jews have what? They have repeatedly stumbled again and again, over and over, refusing to place their faith in the promised Messiah. The same way that people today hear of Jesus and his work on the cross and the tomb. And they stop their ears. I don't want to hear it any longer. Both Hosea and Isaiah are echoing the truth. The Apostle Paul has been writing to the Roman believers and the Holy Spirit, I trust, have been speaking to every single one of us about. That God has a plan and it is a good plan. Now, now God's plan may look different than what you envision it to be. God's plan may feel different. But as we begin to kind of go down through this, we begin to sort people out like, oh no, oh no, uh, we have to hold on to the fact that God's perfect plan is that he desires those that are lost to be found. And he goes after them. And like Pastor Stewart from a megaphone reminding the little ones, you tell them of that. That's part of God's plan. God's desire is that those who are blinded, and you and I all know people, they just like, they're totally blinded. They're not seeing. They're not hearing. God desires. And he has the power and the means, and he oftentimes does, to allow their eyes to be opened. God desires, like any loving father, for his children to be brought home. God desires... For faithful husband like Hosea, for his unfaithful wife to come to repentance. Whoever believes in him will not be ashamed. Just underscore, underline, whoever. And rest in that wonderful truth. 
Now with such good news, Paul turns our attention. Look at the first couple verses of Romans chapter 10. Brothers, my, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For, for I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. If God doesn't sideline us, if God doesn't bench us, we are to focus on the necessity of faith. Secondly, we are to expect, expect this, in urgency of evangelism. You see, this is key because it is very, very easy for us, whenever we consider the doctrines of election or predestination, to think God's going to do what God's going to do. Right? So I can say whatever I want really doesn't matter. I can do, I can give, I can serve, I can sacrifice, I can teach, study, and preach till I'm blue in the face. God's sovereign. What's it really matter anyway? There isn't a one of us who doesn't ask that question, if we're honest. I remember very specifically a time that I, I wrestled through this doctrine on the sovereignty of God. I had been, and it wasn't like I was a new believer. It wasn't like I was a kid in school. I had been a pastor for 15 years preaching. And, and I was totally, totally frustrated because God was not responding or answering the way that I thought he should respond. Souls were lost. Okay? They're lost. I'm praying for a good thing here for souls to be found. I'm frustrated. In the midst of that, I begin to say, well, what's it matter anyway if I bother to study? What does it matter if I go over my notes again and again? It doesn't matter because God's going to do whatever he wants to do. And that's, that's the place where some of you may be at right now of danger because you begin to listen to lies. That's right. doesn't really matter what you do. God's sovereign. And, and you, you know it. You, you, you listen to a, even if it's the whisper of a lie. You listen to a lie long enough and it gets louder and it gets louder and you begin to believe it. That's exactly what happened in my own life. And what happens? There's a sense of discouragement. In all honesty, there, it, was a, it was a darkness. My wife described it. There's just a darkness and a defeatedness in what God has called us to. In 2010, I offered a letter of resignation to the church that I was shepherding. We packed our bags. We moved to Florida. And I decided I was going to become a professional grass mower. Or a mower of grass. I'm not quite sure what they're called. But I was going to do it. And, and I did it. And I was just, it was just going to be quiet. And I was just going to rest. You know what was really, really interesting? I was fascinated by this. Is that even as I was like doing what I wanted to do, I still found myself 
in the morning with a cup of coffee wanting to read the Word of God. I, w I wouldn't get paid to study the Bible. And I still found myself praying, like constantly, like, Lord, I don't know what to do on this situation. And, and, and I still was listening. I wanted to listen to good preaching. I wanted to listen to good music. I still, I remember this. I was meeting with guys after work. Hey, you want to grab a coffee? And I was opening up God's word, and I was, I was discipling young men, led, led two men to the Lord. And I was wrestling through, like, wait a minute, but this isn't my job. Like, that's what a pastor does. And I realized I was struck with the fact that I am not my own. I have been bought with a price, and I am to glorify God in my body and my spirit, which are His. And, I, and after all of this wrestling match, rather than arguing with God on His sovereignty, you're trying to figure out and, and fighting trying to understand God's sovereignty. You don't end up doing, I just, I just submit it and lived as a child of God. That's all I did. It didn't look a whole lot different with what I was doing before. I just stopped, like, fighting against. And think about this. We are to swim upstream against the influence of the world. We're not to swim upstream and continue to fight against God. He formed us. He fashioned. He's the potter. This is about the potter. And, and, and you've seen a potter at work. We talked about this in the excitement of like, that's a lump that turns into a beautiful. Like, how does that happen? That was like really ugly. And now it is so beautiful. That's what God does for us. We have been created in his image. And here it is. For us to enjoy his glory. And that's just, like, that's just like the cherry on top. We get to, not only created in his image to reflect him, we are, we are called to just bask and bathe, to enjoy his glory. And that's hard for us to understand because it's not like we enjoy mocha, cappuccino, crunch, ice cream. Okay? It's totally different. We're like, yeah, I'm just going to enjoy this. No, 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 you, you don't get it. Okay, this is, enjoying the glory of God is not enjoying your favorite TV show or your favorite movie or your favorite meal or your favorite musical. You see, enjoying the glory of God is, is just what? Is allowing him to completely just flow over you you don't have to figure out the mind of God. His ways are higher than our ways. Beyond our under... We just simply submit, surrender, bask, and bathe. Every day we wake up with an opportunity to reveal His glory to others. In this great letter, we see this and hear this. And, and we see, I think, the intensity... Of Paul, I love his transparency and the burden that he has for his dear brothers and his sisters, the way that you and I are to have a burden. That's why he's speaking truth. 
He says, you, you've actually stumbled over the right means of salvation. Jesus is the stone of stumbling, the rock of offense. And he writes, which I think is very reminiscent again of Romans chapter 1, where he pours out his heart and there's emotion here. My heart's desire, my prayer to God is for them that they may be saved, that they may have a zeal, a zealousness, not for your favorite TV show. That you're to have a zealousness for God. And he's laying it all out there. His emotions are on display. His ache, his concern, his love. And it's all capstoned. In verse 5 where it says, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. To everyone. There it is again. To everyone who believes. Stop trying to figure out who's everyone. No, no, this means everyone. Christ is the end of the law. The word end here, tell us. Think of the end of a rope, okay? Like it doesn't go any further than that. It's done. The, 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 the context here is the end of our troubles is our transformation. The end of, of promise is fulfillment. The end of law is Christ. The end, and the emphasis again is on everyone. It's a pronoun. It means anyone, anybody, any person or people, anywhere. So in this one text, we see what? Everyone, in verse 5, and we see whoever, in verse 33 of chapter 4. Which means it is broad sweeping. Paul is pointing everyone to Jesus. Donald Gray Barnhouse says, Jesus Christ crucified is the righteousness of God. Paul's pointing everyone to Jesus. Do you do that? Like every conversation needs to tilt and lean towards. Don't, don't point them. Okay, you can point them to a good book after you point them to Jesus. Don't point them to a new pill or a self-help thing. No, you point people to Jesus. That's what Paul's doing here. Everyone, anyone. Paul is celebrating Jesus. Do, do, you, do you celebrate him? Hey, kids, gather around here. Come here. Dad's got to tell you something. You wouldn't believe what I read this morning in the Word. How long has it been, dads and moms, since you've gathered your children around the Word and prayed and thank the Lord for his amazing, glorious presence and power that's been in display. He celebrates. Paul is resting in Jesus. Do, do, do you do that? He is thankful for the message of the gospel. Salvation offered through faith in Christ's work on the cross. That what? It's a picture of his body that was broken and his blood that was poured out. Now, why, why, why is this so difficult for us to do? You know why? Because, because life gets busy and we carry on apart from what we're supposed to be focusing on. And that's why part of the definition of who we are as a local church is that we do this on a regular basis. It's crazy busy. Like, we got schedules, 15-minute increments. Got to go. And, and we, get, we get going, and that's why part of the definition, who we are, we gather, actually, we gather together to listen to the preaching of the word, not tickling of ears, the preaching of the word, and we remember the sacraments. 
the covenant that has been given to us through the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's what we're able to do this morning. That's what we want to do. That's what we, we need to do this. So we tell others. So we celebrate. So we rest in what Jesus Christ has done. And we, we know this scene, this heading, hopefully, hopefully we don't have to go real far back for you to say, oh, I remember what this is about. Jesus sitting with his disciples in the upper room and the time, the time is nearing. The upper room discourse and, and part of that, the washing of the feet, remember? And all of these things come flooding back to us. There's going to be someone here that's going to betray and, and, and Jesus dips and let him eat and we know. And all those things come flooding back and part of that was the fact that he said, I, I know, I know, he created us. He says, I, I know how they'll remember. Let them, in a sense, just what, allow every one of their senses to participate and that's how we remember. So he, he took bread, it said, and he, he showed it to them. That's our eyes. And he broke it. And then he passed it around and they ate it. You can smell it. Every part. Why? So that we remember this bread is a picture of the body that has been broken for us. And Jesus Christ says, this is my body. Take this. Eat this. And remember what you're about to see. I did this for you. That made reference to it this morning. That, that, that God, who is preeminent over all things in Colossians chapter 1, saw us, even in our unfaithfulness, he remained faithful. Even in the fact that we are unloving, he offers this love. And he offered his body to be broken. That's, that's what happened on the cross. His body was shredded and wrecked for you took the wrath of his own father so you would enjoy his mercy and grace. It says as well that he took the fruit of the vine and he poured it out into a glass and they, they passed it around and again they could smell it and they could taste it. So it was seared. Just like we do this every single month. So this is seared in our hearts and our minds and our memories. As we drink the cup, we are reminded of the blood that was poured out on our behalf, that paid for my sins, the wretchedness of my heart, your sins. Without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sins. Blood is the lifeline, that which gives us hope for eternity. That we're reminded it's bigger than what happens right here in the 78.7 years. That this points us forward to real life, abundant life, eternal life. We put our faith and trust in the work of Jesus. Wouldn't it be horrible if I said, okay, you can go now. Dismissed. Like I explained that and, and I get to, and, and I get, wouldn't it be horrible? It's like, okay, we'll see you. Have a good week. That, that would be, that would be horrible. It'd be so mean. I wouldn't do that to you. Instead, well, I want you. I want to invite you to remember this with me. And we're going to do that. 
going to ask the elders to come up and they're going to serve. You're going to come up to them and they're going to serve you. Okay? And let me just remind you, as the guys are coming, let me remind you that this is for believers. If you place your faith and trust in what Jesus Christ has done, then this is for you. Okay, we invite you, please take this and, and eat of it and drink of it. We'll do that together in a moment. But let me be very clear. If you are here this morning and you, you, like, you heard the Jesus part, but I don't know where I'm at then I don't want to be rude. Please don't take this. It's not going to get you to heaven. It's not for you. I don't want to be rude if you're a guest here. But I want to be truthful. I want to be honest. And I also want to invite you that today, it actually says in Scripture, today is the day of salvation. That if you've been wrestling through, yeah, I know I'm a sinner. We don't need much convincing on that. And I understand that life here is pretty brief on this earth and what's going to happen next. I understand that what? Somebody's got to pay for our own sin. And today can be that day that a simple what? Prayer in your heart that says, Lord, forgive me a sinner. Have mercy upon me. I trust you. I want to follow you as Lord of my life. I want to be obedient. Then please, please take this and enjoy this and remember who Jesus Christ is, and what Jesus Christ has done for you. We're going to take just a moment, just in quietness, and I would invite you to bow your heads and just thank the Lord. Bask in his glory. Rejoice and celebrate. Just in quietness. And then when you're ready, you can come up to one of these stations, each one of the tables. Some will offer you the cup and some will offer you the bread. Take it and you can go back to your seat and then I'll pray, bless it, and we will enjoy it together. Let's bow our heads.
Would you pray with me? Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name be the glory. In your graciousness, you have just lavishly poured out mercies new every day, grace that is sufficient. We thank you, Lord, that all of that is made possible because of what we hold in our hands as a reminder of today, this morning. We thank you for this bread that is a picture of your body that was broken. We thank you for this cup that is a symbol of the blood, your blood that was poured out as you allowed, Lord, your own son your boy to suffer so that we could live to have life and have life more abundantly help us Lord to be mindful of you rather than fighting and kicking against and wrestling may we just submit trust enjoy and celebrate. Bless this to our bodies. Lord, please give us your strength to be faithful. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul's actually writing to the church in Corinth when he teaches them. And he says that the Lord Jesus Christ on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and he said this. He said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. It says, in the same way also he took the cup. After supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant, the new promise in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. As often as you eat this bread, every time you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. And oh, how we look forward to him coming again. Matt. Close.